It's Thursday, January 19th, and on today's WCE, we're going to talk about Michigan quite a bit. We're going to hit on Jaden Rashada again. Is TCU going to announce their hire? Arkansas has already announced theirs. Uh, Who under and overperformed this year? And we're going to talk Kiffin. We're going to talk Todd Munkin. The Pac-12 releases their schedule, and they might be on the move as well. Uh, We're going to talk NFL early entrance and more on today's Winning Cures Everything. You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. It is Thursday, January 19th. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Hopefully everybody's having a wonderful day. Hopefully everybody has had a wonderful week thus far. We got lots to discuss. We got lots to dig into. Let me go on and tell you first off, you know how this thing goes. The show's brought to you by BetUS each and every time out. It's America's premier online sports book. They are, in fact, where the game begins. Fast payouts, incredible customer service, and the site is incredibly easy to navigate. And on top of all that, if you click the link that's in the description below, you will get a $50 free play with no deposit required. So go ahead and do yourself the favor, click the link, and make sure that you get signed up over at BetUS, where the game begins. All right, let's go on and get into it. we got a lot to discuss. We're going to talk Michigan first. Let's, let's do that. Jim Harbaugh against the NCAA. That's right, Michigan versus the NCAA. Uh, let's, let's just give you the brief rundown on exactly what's going on here. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Dan Wetzel did put out the news that he had heard that the NCAA was getting ready to uh, send Michigan a notice of allegations. They had apparently broken some rules, and, you know, they, they wanted to uh, go ahead and make it official, and it was all level two violations. And the violations here were, let's see, uh, a meeting with two recruits during a COVID-19 dead period, Texting a recruit outside of an allowable time period, having analysts perform on-field coaching duties during practice, which happens everywhere, and having coaches watch players work out via Zoom, according to sources. Most of these are things that uh, pretty much everybody did. Uh, You know, meeting with two recruits during a COVID-19 dead period, eh, I guess it kind of depends on the timing, uh, but it turns out there were a lot of schools that did that. Uh, Not much has come out of those as of yet, but regardless. Uh, The the issue here is that the NCAA wants Jim Harbaugh to admit that he's lied to them. He will not admit that he lied, and the NCAA cannot prove it. And that's basically the situation here. Now, we know that Harbaugh, uh, if you believe all the stories, which there are a lot of them, uh, he can be kind of hard to deal with. He is a proud individual, and he has told them that he did not lie, that he just did not recall the events. This is what he said. He said the 59-year-old has maintained he didn't recall the events when first speaking with investigators, but that he was never purposefully dishonest. So we've seen coaches that have lied about things in the past, and they get absolutely blasted for it. A uh, good example in college basketball would be Bruce Pearl, 
Bruce Pearl lied about meeting with a prospective recruit. And, you know, it, it was at like a barbecue. There were pictures of them there. Bruce Pearl lied about that, and he got a three-year show cause. Now, he's, you know, back in coaching. He's back at Auburn. But that was three years that he basically could not coach. And it was over a minor violation. It was meeting with a kid during a dead period, a time that he wasn't supposed to be meeting with him. In this situation, it's kind of the same thing. Like, these are nothing violations. But the NCAA wants Harbaugh to admit it's it's a weird system that we have here, right? This whole thing where the NCAA is demanding that he admit that he lied so that they can punish him more. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Why would Harbaugh ever admit that he lied in a situation like this? And I think this situation is a big reason why there is a breakdown between Ward Manuel, the athletic director at Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh, right? Harbaugh is never going to admit that he lied. He will tell you that he did not recall that event at the time that he was asked, but he's not going to come out and say that he was dishonest. I don't know that I blame him. we, We all remember the number one rule, right? Never cooperate. You don't cooperate with the NCAA. They don't have subpoena power. They can't come in and and try and figure out what you knew. They can't put you on a lie detector test. The NCAA basically has no teeth in something like this. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what they end up doing here. But man, uh, just a weird, weird set of circumstances. But the, the negotiations between the school and the NCAA have basically broken down. And this is just another example of, you know, the fact that the NCAA has no power right now. And there's nothing they can do about it. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, whether they end up, you know, actually giving them, you know, real punishment or not. But I I seriously doubt it'll happen. You know, they they might restrict some recruiting windows or something like that. But at the end of the day, I think I think this is pretty much a dead story. You know, we'll see we'll see what happens. We'll move on to Michigan offensive coordinator Matt Weiss. This is a strange, strange situation. This over at CBS Sports, this is uh, Shahan Jaraja. Man, I hope I said that right. He's a good dude. Great writer. Michigan co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss placed on leave amid investigation for computer access crimes. It says he's been away from the team after an alleged incident in late December. Now, he was arrested for computer access crimes and that's a broad spectrum of things and and luckily uh, there's a little bit of information in this it says the incident allegedly took place during December 21st through 23rd at Schimbeckler Hall which is the team's football facility though no additional details have been released by uh, University of Michigan Police Department it says a January 5th report in the university's daily crime and fire log References fraudulent activity involving someone accessing university email accounts without authorization. Now, again, it says that Weiss was not specifically mentioned, but I think that we have to assume that that's what this is. This is a very strange situation, because even with that logbook, you still don't really know. Like, you understand, okay, it's somebody accessing university email accounts without authorization. 
how big is this? Because the FBI raided his house. Like, this was a, a pretty huge thing. So what in the world is going on here? Now, I will say this. Uh, the Michigan message boards don't seem to believe that, uh, that losing Weiss would be that big of an issue for their offense. If I were a Michigan fan, I'd be a lot more worried about what live, uh, losing Biff Pogey was going to be like. Right? I wonder what that's going to do. But we shall see. I don't know that they're necessarily going to lose him over this. I, I can't wait to find more information. I have no idea what this is about. Like, maybe you guys do, but I have no idea. If you know, toss it in the comments. Like, and don't give me any kind of speculation because, man, that's a weird, weird rabbit hole to go down when it comes to computer access crimes with emails and whatever else, right? Just, if you got some ideas, let me know. I'm very curious. But I'll be following this story very closely. We are back on the Jaden Rashada train. And no, not the hype train or anything like that. We're just, we're going to be following this story again, right? Jaden Rashada did finally request his, uh, his release from his scholarship. And we'll pull it up on the, on the page here. This is from Nick Bromberg over at Yahoo. It says he will not be attending the University of Florida. It says, according to multiple reports, uh, the four-star quarterback has asked for his scholarship release from the school. Uh, his NLI, National Letter of Intent, he did sign that thing, but he did not enroll, and now he wants out. And I would not imagine that Florida is going to have any kind of an issue with letting this guy go, and it is what it is. That says it could have something to do with the uh, name, image, and likeness payments. Uh, per multiple reports, Rashada had an agreement with an NIL collective for an endorsement deal contingent upon signing with the Gators. According to The Athletic, the NIL deal with the collective was agreed to in November had a maximum value of $13 million. Uh, it says, but that max value was reportedly well beyond the means of the collective's financial ability, and then the the deal then soon reportedly crumbled. Now, you look at what the Gator Collective tweeted out. It says, topic of the day. Uh, question, does Gator Collective facilitate NIL deals negotiated and funded by third parties? Answer, yes. It says, the Gator Collective writes contracts that its member uh, contributions fund directly. It says, the Gator Collective also writes contracts that third parties, such as businesses, negotiate and fund. That doesn't give you a good answer as to what actually happened here. And I don't know that we're actually going to get any kind of an answer. right? It, I, I brought this up the other day, and basically it was, okay, we're probably going to get a... We're probably going to get some kind of a... Uh, I, my mind has gone blank on what this is. Uh, in NDS? No. What am I looking for? Oh, not yet. NDA. Non-disclosure agreement. There we go. <laughs> That's the problem with doing these shows all the way through. Uh, no script, no nothing. Just, you know, off my head. NDA. A non-disclosure agreement. I would imagine that Florida, at least the collective, somebody associated there, probably got him to sign something so that he does not talk about this. But it appears that the money was not there that they had guaranteed him. Now, I have two questions now. One, what is the NCAA response here? Because they have been talking about collectives, and they've been talking about NIL, and blah, 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 and you can't do this, and this is not supposed to be a recruiting inducement, et cetera, et cetera. But this thing was supposedly contingent on Rashada signing with Florida. Okay, uh, 
that sounds like an inducement. Now, the other part of this is he didn't sign with Florida. So does that get Florida off the hook? Because they it was still a recruiting inducement, and I don't know how this is going to work or what the NCAA is going to do about this stuff going forward or if they even can do anything. Like, we've talked about this on the show multiple times. The NCAA has no teeth. You can't prove anything. You don't have subpoena power. This is a weird, weird situation for them. Now, as far as Jaden Rashada's possible schools go, the ones that I have seen ballyhooed about the most are Washington and Arizona State. Now, he is from Pittsburgh, California, and that is in between San Francisco and Sacramento. But it it, it seemed like it was a weird, weird battle for it to be Miami and Florida, right, for a kid from California. It just seems strange. Uh, and yet, here we are. And so I, I'm curious what's going to happen with him. Uh, Kenny Dillingham or Kalen DeBoer, either one, I think, could do good things with him. Uh, this is an older kid. We'll see what happens. Uh, he's he's good. You know, I don't know if he's as good as some of the other quarterbacks in this class. I, I don't know that he's $13 million over four years good, at least not in college football. But I have been proven wrong before, and we will see. We will see what happens with Jaden Rashada. Let's talk about Kendall Bryles and TCU. On the show on Tuesday, I put out that I just could not understand why Sonny Dykes and TCU would make that hire. It did not make sense to me. And then on Wednesday, they reportedly made the hire. And it has been reported at multiple different places, 247, uh, I think CBS, I think the Athletic, I think a lot of different places have actually reported that the deal is done. And I think that we can say that the deal is done because we know that Bryles is no longer at Arkansas because Arkansas has already announced their hire. And we'll talk about that one here in just a minute. But there has been no announcement from the school. There's no update to the directory. You can search TCU and Kendall Bryles anywhere on TCU's athletic website, and you will not be able to find anything right now. It seems a little strange to me that we got nothing. Like, TCU is just going to pretend, like, are they just going to sweep this under the rug? Seems a little weird. So, in Arkansas, again, has already come out and tweeted who their next offensive coordinator is going to be. It's going to be Dan Enos. And, again, we'll talk about that in a second. But if you are going to make a hire, I guess, how about this? Any, any hire that you make, you better be ready to stand behind it. And I think it's kind of ridiculous that you are going to tweet and retweet announcements for commitments from kids. You will announce, you know, assistant strength and conditioning coaches, etc. But one of the three highest profi- uh, profile positions on your football staff, you make a hire that you are too cowardly to even announce, to even put out there. I mean, it, even on Twitter, you can you can set it to where people cannot comment. But man, it, it it seems weird that you would make a hire that you are not willing to stand behind, that you are not willing to put out into the public. It's like because they know exactly what's going to happen here. It's very frustrating. It is uh, 
very disappointing. I will say that. Uh, and this is weird. Like, I'm all for giving people second chances. I know people commented on the last video uh, that I did about this, about how it would be a slap in the face. It is. Like, there are some TCU fans that are just willing to overlook this stuff. But when your biggest rival uh, had such a ridiculous uh, law, not lawsuit, uh, uh, scandal go on, when your biggest rival had a huge scandal like that, and now your new coach is hiring people off of that staff, there, there's just something that wouldn't sit right with me. It, this, if I, I don't know. It, it just feels weird, you know. Again, I said it on the last show. You know, winning cures everything, but at what cost? Right? Why would you make your fans feel like they're selling their souls? And that's exactly what they're doing here. That'll move us over to Arkansas. And Arkansas has already announced the day after they lost their offense coordinator, they have announced that they are hiring Dan Enos as their offensive coordinator. Now, we're going to pull this up because that's right. That is the Arkansas website, the Arkansas football website, ArkansasRazorbacks.com. It says Enos returns to lead the Arkansas offense. It says head coach Sam Pittman has named Dan Enos as the Razorbacks offensive coordinator. Enos returns to Arkansas with over 30 years of coaching experience, including three seasons as the Hogs offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach from 2015 through 2017. Notice they did not put Brett Bielema in there, but Enos was Bielema's last offensive coordinator uh, before he was fired. Enos is a weird cat. Uh, 2018, so right after Arkansas, he went to Michigan as an offensive analyst, but then quickly joined Alabama's staff as a quarterback's coach. Um, you know, and I'm going to pull up his uh, his history here so that you guys can see exactly what it is that, uh, that he has been doing. So, Dan Enos was an offensive analyst at Michigan, then quickly joined Alabama's as uh, an associate head coach and a quarterback's coach. He left, and the stories are that he didn't even tell Nick Saban that he was leaving, but he went to be Manny Diaz's offensive coordinator at Miami. He then left Miami and was an associate head coach and a running backs coach at Cincinnati during the COVID season. And then he became Maryland's offensive coordinator for two years before now he is back at Arkansas. He was the head coach at Central Michigan before he took the offensive coordinator job at Arkansas with Brett Bielema. Um, and the, the deal there is you can just make so much more money. We just saw Sean Lewis do this. This is not unheard of, right? There's so much more money uh, being a coordinator in one of the big two leagues. But Dan Enos is it, – it's a strange hire to bring this guy back. And I know that Pittman was, uh, was on – Bielema staff and all that, but uh, I don't know what the upside is here. Like, uh, the upside is maybe familiarity, but, you know, and Enos has done some good things. But I I don't really understand the hire. Uh, I do, from everything that I've heard regarding salary and whatnot, I have heard that it is a cheaper hire than what they had with Bryles. I don't know if that necessarily matters or what the situation is regarding this. But, again, this business is all about who you know. Uh, Enos, of course, 
worked with Mike Loxley, the Maryland coach, when they were both at Alabama. Enos obviously worked with Sam Pittman uh, under Bielema at Arkansas. So uh, he continues to get, you know, these kind of jobs. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Is he going to stick around for a while? Because uh, you, you look at this, and he was at Central Michigan in 2010 through 2014. Um, he was at Michigan State from 2006 through 2009. That's a pretty long time. That's quarterback's coach and running back's coach. Uh, then he was at Central Michigan. Then he goes to Arkansas for three years. He was at Michigan for about six weeks. He went to Alabama for a year, Miami for a year, Cincinnati for a year, uh, and then Maryland for the last two seasons. Uh, how long is he going to hang around? We shall see. We shall see. All right, let's go on and hit uh, Let's hit an ad right quick, and then on the other side, I'm going to talk about who under and overperformed in college football this year based on post-game win expectancy. Let's check out some things you should know about. College football is back, and BetUS TV has you covered. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we've got expert game analysis to help you make informed decisions before kickoff, only on the BetUS TV College football channel. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com store to see what all we've added. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And now... Back to the show. All right. Let's dive into it. Who under and overperformed this year in college football? Who was actually better than their record and who was actually worse than their record? It's going to pull it up. I got it all right here on the screen for you. Uh, if you guys are interested in this, tell me in the comments. I will put the link out there. I will, uh, I will share this thing out so that you guys can see it. Let's go on and just start reading it. Who underperformed? Who was actually better than what their record said they were? We'll start out at number 10. Illinois went 11, well, excuse me, Illinois went 8-4 uh, and four this year. 
eight and four overall in the regular season. Uh, their post game win expectancy this year was nine point nine eight. Like I nine point nine eight is crazy. Um, so Illinois probably should have been a ten win team this year if you really look at it. Number nine, Virginia Tech. They were three and eight. Post game win expectancy says that they should have had five wins. And so maybe they were not as bad as we thought they were. Uh, number eight is Florida Atlantic. And Florida Atlantic, uh, this bunch right here, uh, they went five and seven. Post game win expectancy said they should be 7.02 wins. That's pretty crazy. That is pretty nuts. Uh, on top of that, number seven, the University of South Florida, USF, Jeff Scott's bunch. They went one and 11. Post-game win expectancy said that they should have been 3.19 wins. Number six is UAB. They went six and six. Post-game win expectancy says that they should have gone, or they should have had 8.37 wins. Now that is pretty nuts. Um, You know, right on the cusp of being a nine-win team. Brian Vincent's bunch did have a lot of turnovers. They did have some injuries this year. I had to turn to Jacob Zeno. Yeah, uh, UAB was definitely better than their 6-6 six and six record. Georgia State was 4-8 and eight on the season. Post-game win expectancy says that they should have had 6.38 wins. Northwestern, that's right, Pat Fitzgerald's bunch. They were 1-11. PGWE says they should have had 3.48 wins. So they were number four um, as far as who should have had more wins. Uh, Arizona State is number three. They went 3-9. and nine. Post-game win expectancy says 5.54 wins. Northern Illinois went 3-9. and nine. They should have had 5.66. So Thomas Hammock's bunch, of course, you know, uh, not Rocky Long, uh, Rocky Lombardi uh, being out definitely hurt them. But uh, they, had some, they had some bad luck this year as far as, as far as wins go. And then number one, as far as uh, underachieving, Navy. Navy went four and eight, and of course Ken Niamatololo gets fired. Uh, but if you look at their postgame win expectancy, Navy should have had seven point nine eight wins. So eight wins. They should have completely flipped this thing around. Instead of going four and eight, they should have been eight and four. I mean, that's just bonkers. Now, let's look at who overperformed. Who was actually not as good as their record goes? And you guys can guess if you would like to. Um We'll start at number 10. Tulane went 11-2. and two. Uh, Win expectancy says they should have had 9.31 wins out of 13. So uh, they were still good, just maybe not as good, right? Oklahoma State was number 9. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Gundy's bunch was not very good this year. Yeah, I know. They went 7-5 and five in the regular season. And they should have had 5.26 wins based on postgame win expectancy. Now, this is all over at collegefootballdata.com. Um, they they give you the data. You have to be able to piece it together, right? <laughs> so, again, if you guys want a copy of this, toss it in the comments. Let me know, uh, and I will, I will share the link out. I will let you guys have it. Uh, number eight, Mississippi State. That's right, Mike Leach's bunch uh, before his untimely passing. Uh, they went eight and four in the regular season. The postgame win expectancy numbers say that they should have only had 6.09 wins. So closer to a 6-6 six and six team than an 8-4 and four team. A little surprising. Now this one may be not as surprising. Number 7, North Carolina went 9-4. and four. Of course, that includes a loss in the ACC championship game to Clemson. 
their postgame win expectancy number, 6.94 wins. So closer to a 7-6 and six team than a 9-4 and four team. Uh, number six, this one I think will shock some people. Number six is UTSA, 11-2. and two. And if people look back and they would think, well, they were right there with Houston. You know, they could have gotten that one. Yeah. Uh, but there were some other ones that they maybe should have lost based on, you know, the stats in the ballgame. Uh, UTSA went 11-2. and two. Their postgame win expectancy number was 8.93 wins. Coastal Carolina went 9-3. and three. Of course, they did have a game canceled in the regular season. Uh, their number was 6.88 wins. Ohio went 9-4. and four. Their number was 6.86 wins. Now, number three is Washington. That's right, Kalen DeBoer's bunch. They went 10-2. and two, But their postgame win expectancy number was 7.81 wins. And so, less than eight wins there, or maybe right at eight and four. Uh, but they ended up going ten and two. Indiana. Indiana went four and eight. And you're thinking, how in the world could they possibly be worse than that four and eight record? Well, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> Their postgame win expectancy number was 1.74. So, they actually were not even as good as their four wins. They had less than two based on post-game win expectancy. And number one, the team that overachieved the most this season. I'll give you a second. You can guess it. I am I'm almost certain. TCU, 12-1 in the regular season. That includes the loss in the Big 12 title game. But the post-game win expectancy number, instead of 12 wins, this says that it should have been 9.36 wins. That is a huge, huge discrepancy I I was a little shocked I will admit uh, but alas it is what it is uh, this I will go through uh, the team you know we're going to do some conference reviews starting next week I believe on Monday of next week we're going to do look it up right here we're going to do uh, the MAC and Conference USA on Monday and then we'll do the Mountain West and the AAC on Thursday of next week that is the plan. Now, if some kind of big breaking news story happens, then, yeah, obviously, that'll change things for us. But, yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to do next week. We will talk more about who overachieved and who underachieved. And once we get to, um, I think, May is when we're going to start previews this year. That's our plan. So, in May, we're going to do team-by-team previews for the 2023 college football season along with schedules, et cetera. We'll talk about some schedules here in just a minute. Lane Kiffin. Write down the time. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss pulled in Walker Howard the other day. I think that was on Wednesday. Wednesday morning it was announced Walker Howard's going hotty-totty, all that, right? So everybody thinks, oh, we've got a quarterback competition now. There's Jackson Dart, who was the starter this year, and Luke Altmyer's out. But now they got some depth in the quarterback room. Thursday, of course, the transfer portal closes. Nobody can enter the portal anymore, etc. And Spencer Sanders, the Oklahoma State starting quarterback for the past four years, announces that he, too, will be joining the loaded quarterback room in Oxford. Now, we'll pull it up on the screen here. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, Jackson Dart is already there. 
Walker Howard just transferred from LSU. Spencer Sanders transfers. All of these guys are transfers. USC, Oklahoma State, and LSU. Um, this is what Spencer Sanders said. I'm going to come in and work my tail off either way, whether the room is packed or not. That's just my mindset. I've always had a mindset of competing, driving, striving for better. I've never shied away from competition. I'm not going to start now. Okay. Okay. Um, it felt like uh, it felt like Spencer Sanders was out uh, for a lot more than he really was this year. During the regular season, he only missed two games with injury. That was the last game, and I believe against Kansas State, maybe? No, 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 he played against Kansas State. Uh, let's see. Oh, Kansas. He didn't play against Kansas, and they got absolutely demolished in that game by three touchdowns. This is a, this is a weird spot, because uh, Spencer Sanders is going up against a lot of competition, but he is the most experienced of the group. What's next for Jackson Dart? That's what I'm curious about. Jackson Dart uh, threw for almost 3,000 yards. He rushed for 614. He did have 21 total touchdowns. But he had 11 interceptions, and he wasn't exactly uh, consistent in the passing game. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Kiffin just doesn't believe in Dart at this point, or maybe he felt like he needed more competition. It does seem strange that Spencer Sanders, who only has one year left, would go to such a loaded room unless the NIL stuff that's going on in Oxford, the new Rebel Collective or Rebel Grove Collective or whatever it's called, um, maybe they had a hand in this. I This is the way that I imagine it plays out. They go through spring ball. Sanders and Howard are probably better than Dart, uh, based on what we saw from Dart last season. Uh, and what Kiffin would like to do in that offense. And I would imagine that Jackson Dart transfers out. Spencer Sanders starts for a year. Walker Howard gets some playing time as a backup this year, and then he takes over the mantle for the next three years. That's what it looks like. Uh, because remember, there is a transfer portal that or a window that's opening uh, May 1st through the 15th. So we shall see. But that's the way that I'm envisioning this thing. Spencer Sanders is going to be your starter in Oxford. Uh, but we'll see. He's going to have to earn it. That is for sure on that one. I have a question. Is Todd Munkin going to leave Georgia to go back to the NFL? Ian Rappaport, who is the you know bigwig when it comes to uh, NFL news, he announced uh, or reported that, you know, a name to watch for the Buccaneers since they have fired their offense coordinator, Byron Lefwich, is Todd Munkin. Uh, and this is from Jordan D. Hill over at Dogs 247. It says, uh, Ian Rappaport said for the first time, Bucks coach Todd Bowles will assemble his own offensive staff. Uh, per me and Mike Garofalo, one name to watch at OC, Georgia OC Todd Munkin, the former Bucks OC could be back. Now, if you go through and look at what Munkin has done, he has been on three different NFL teams. He's been with the Jags as a wide receivers coach. He was with the Bucks as an OC. He was with the Browns as an OC for one season before he went back to Georgia. He has just kind of bounced back and forth. Uh, the, the guy is 56 years old. He He's done this before, right? Is he more interested in trying to be 
a college football head coach, or is he more interested in being, you know, an NFL coordinator and then maybe an NFL head coach? And I don't know that we know that. Um, Munkin did talk to reporters in the lead-up to the Peach Bowl. And he said, at some point in my career, I thought I knew exactly what I wanted next year, uh, in five years, in ten years, really what I wanted. I don't know if it's just getting old or the appreciation for the job you have, but I don't control opportunities that come my way. I would never say never to anything. I would never say no to anything, but I love where I'm at because I believe we're going to win, and I believe in the head coach. So those are all huge factors where you decide to stay as a coach. Now, it would not shock me if he goes back to the NFL. But he does seem to have a really good thing going. But if you're if you're going to go back to the NFL, I mean, going back after two straight national championships, after turning uh, a walk-on like Stetson Bennett into an absolute star that's likely going to be drafted, seems like a good time to do it, right? Like, doesn't it seem like that to you guys, I would imagine? Uh, we shall see. This is something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's going to change a whole lot. Uh, Kirby has put together a group of analysts over there, much the same way that Nick Saban has at Alabama. Somebody will come in that knows the system, I would imagine, unless Kirby decides he wants to do something different with the offense. But I don't see that happening. And so let's uh, let's hit some more ads right quick. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 on the other side. And, uh, hey, the deadline for NFL early entrance was early this past week. Or not this past week, this week. And we're going to talk about the transfer portal window that closed today, as a matter of fact. No, yesterday. I'll get it right during the break. How's that? Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures. And you can follow Gary at Gary WCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com, and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, let me tell you about Flow Sports right quick. They are fantastic. Over 25,000 different sports matches, and it ranges from D3 football to hockey to high school sports to, uh, let me let me look. Let's see. Oh, MMA. They got boxing. They got golf. They got all kinds of stuff. Things that I believe that you, as a diehard sports fan, are going to enjoy. So make sure that you head over there. There is a link in the description. I'm not even telling you that you got to sign up. All I'm telling you is click that link for me. That certainly helps us out over here. All right. Moving along, the Pac-12. Hey, by the way, go ahead and uh, and hit that like button for me. Yeah, go ahead and hit that like button and uh, subscribe to the channel if you've not already. We are just about to hit 8,000, so that would certainly, certainly help us out. And uh, share the show out with your friends. Tell everybody you know about it. If you are not already subscribed on the podcast, highly recommend that one as well. So go ahead and uh, leave a nice five-star review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. 
All right, the Pac-12 has released their football schedule, the full schedule, and it would have been genius. It absolutely would have been genius. But instead, news leaks out on Tuesday night that, hey, this thing's coming out tomorrow. And so the Pac-12 goes ahead and announces, hey, we're going to release this thing tomorrow. And they did at like noon central time. So 1 p.m. Eastern, something like that. They they did put it, they did the smart thing. They released it on uh, Pac-12 Network, so people had to be tuned into the Pac-12 Network in order to see it. Now then, immediately, as soon as they shared out a team schedule, it was then shared online, etc. But it drew a lot more people to the Pac-12 Network. So that is a smart idea. The, the calendar in college football is so screwed up. Like, we, we absolutely could make events out of all of these things, and we just don't. Like, we don't give ourselves time to even discuss some of this stuff because there's always something else coming down the pipeline. It's just a train wreck. But regardless, regardless, let's stay on the Pac-12 for a minute, huh? Let's, uh, let's do that. Uh, UCLA and Arizona, it appears, have the easiest schedules, the way that their schedules broke down, and, and of course, their non-conference schedules as well. Uh, USC and Washington ended up with the most difficult schedules with the way that theirs broke down. Uh, USC has a game in week zero, and they have a bye week before the Pac-12 title game, which means they're they're stuffing everything else back in there. They've got one bye week in the middle there. Uh, but a bye week in week 13 is certainly odd. But here is how that came about. BYU had to back out of their season-ending game against USC because of their move to the Big 12 uh, that came a little bit earlier than anticipated. So they had to drop that game, and the only uh, uh, the only other option for USC was either uh, try and not have a bye game, or not a bye week in the middle of the season, or play a week zero game. So they did the week zero game, and now they've got a bye week before the Pac-12 titles. So I guess that's a bit of an advantage, but as far as the rest of the schedule is concerned, whew, it is rough. Now, we are going to discuss schedules when we get into the previews and whatnot, who has the most difficult uh, road, and I would, I'm going to tell you, it's Washington. I mean, it is absolutely crazy what Washington has to go through. Uh, let's go on and, here, I'll pull this up on the screen so that you can see. Uh, Washington, da, 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 da. Washington is way on down here, all the way at the bottom, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there we go. Here's what they've got at the end of the season. In week 7, they've got Oregon. But then week 10 at USC, week 11 against Utah, week 12 at Oregon State, week 13 against Washington State. That is brutal. Absolutely brutal to end the season. Um, yeah, And on top of that, they're non-conference. they got Boise State and Michigan State. I mean, that is, that's a rough schedule. Rough, rough schedule. But we'll be talking about all this. We'll be previewing them. Throughout the summer, don't worry. We will get to you, Pac-12 fans. I don't, we first we got to review your season, and uh, and we'll probably be doing that in the next couple weeks. So, all right, let's stay on the Pac-12. The Pac-12 networks are moving studios, and let's go and pull this up. We'll keep that on the screen while I'm uh, discussing the finer topics. Uh, they are moving from San Francisco. Now, the, the move out of San Francisco, the move to stop paying rent, it was already done. 
back in March of last year. Uh, when they were in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, their rent was $7 million a year. It was insane. We, we have griped and complained about Larry Scott and some of the decisions that he made uh, on this show before, on Winning Cures Everything. But, man, that was just bonkers when you look at what some of the other other conferences are paying rent for their headquarters, et cetera. Uh, so they went from $7 million a year paying rent in the middle of San Francisco to remote work, where they didn't have a remote production space or a headquarters or anything else. And now... They are moving to a four, uh, excuse me, a forty-two thousand square foot space at Bishop Ranch in San Ramon. That's thirty-five miles inland from San Francisco Bay, and it is a genius move because they are going to save millions and millions and millions of dollars in rent. Now, I have complained about George Klyovkov in the past. I absolutely have complained about it. His lying about the back or about the uh, the Big Twelve, a possible merger, etc. That irritated me to no end because there are receipts. You are working in college sports now. What are you doing? But this was a really really good move, and I have to commend him for it. This is absolutely the smartest thing that he could have done. Right, getting getting out from paying that kind of money when your conference does not bring in that much. So you got to get your guys as much money as possible, your conferences, because it, all of this stuff was coming off the top, which made all the media payouts even less to each uh, different school. It's just bananas. So cheers to the Pac-12. Cheers to George Klyovkov and Bunch for getting this thing done. I uh, believe they will be moving in over the summer, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it'll tell me that here in just a second. Uh, June 2023. Yes. So, that's the plan. That is the plan. Bishop Ranch Business Park. Cheers to them. They will be uh, broadcasting 850 live events a year. They'll have more than 100 employees and freelancers on game days. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Who won... In NFL draft early entrance, which teams did the best in this situation? Article by Barrett Salee over at CBS Sports says several talented players chose to return to college football instead of playing in the NFL. Number one, Michael Penix Jr., which Washington certainly, certainly was a big winner here because he could have declared and he didn't. And they also had uh, number 20, if I'm not mistaken, Rome uh, O'Dunes. And I, I have probably butchered that name numerous times this year. Uh, but he was one of two 1,000-yard uh, receivers uh, this year. So he's, he's going to be awesome. Uh, they also had, if I'm not mistaken, a lineman that was coming back. Da, da, da. There we go. Defensive lineman, Braylon Trice. So Washington had three of the top 20 that are coming back. And that is just massive. Uh, number two is Blake Corum uh, with Michigan. Now Michigan also has uh, somebody else on the list as well. Or at least I thought they did. Yeah, they've got, how about this? I know the Michigan has like four guys that could have gone that are all coming back. They may not be on this list of top 20, but they got some dudes. They got some dudes. So Blake Corum coming back is huge. Bo Nix at Oregon, that's a massive, massive return for them. Jordan Travis, the quarterback at Florida State. Tommy Eichenberg, linebacker at Ohio State. Uh, Jared Verse at Florida State, etc. Uh, Penn State, of course, gets their lineman back. 
uh, Fashanu, Sam Hartman, Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame isn't exactly getting him back. He's in the portal, but he could have gone pro. Could have gone pro. Uh, aside from that, you've got some guys that were questionable, probably would not have been first-round guys. Uh, so it makes a little more sense for them to come back, right? Cam Rising at Utah. Uh, Tyler Davis, I think, would have – I think he would have been just fine leaving, you know, from Clemson. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, quarterback from Oklahoma. I don't know what the market was for him. Illinois' defensive line certainly is going to be better. Spencer Rattler coming back. Johnny Wilson. You know, there's there's dudes. But it's not it's not like these huge, huge names that everyone knows that would have been first-rounders, et cetera, right? If you're going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL draft, you're gone. There's no reason to stick around anymore. You have done your job. You uh, You know what you're worth. All right, now, this one from Shahan Jarajah again. Hopefully I said this one right. We shall see. <coughs> excuse me, excuse me. That coughing in the, uh, coughing in the mic. Great radio here, right? Pulling it on up. These 10 football teams were hit hardest by underclassmen entering the draft early. And here's what we got. Number one is going to be Alabama, of course. Uh, you lose Bryce Young, you lose Will Anderson, uh, you lose Brian Branch and Jameer Gibbs, who all could have come back. Uh, all four of them have a chance to be drafted in the first round, and you know that Bryce Young and Will Anderson will. So, we shall see what ends up happening there. Uh, but you also lose you know, guys that are that have already graduated, right? Uh, Emil Ikior on the offensive line, uh, Henry Toatoa, the linebacker, Jordan Battle, of course, the uh, the safety, uh, defensive back. That's a, that's a lot of dudes that are going to be in the NFL from Alabama this year. Kansas State, they only lost two underclassmen, but, man, uh, it's, it's rough. Deuce Vaughn was just a big, big producer in their offense, and then they lose the defensive end. Uh, Enodike Umoza, uh, or excuse me, Uzoma. I'm going to get that right one of these days, <laughs> I swear to you. Clemson uh, lost Miles Murphy. Uh, yeah. Brian Breesey, KJ Henry. Like, it's that's pretty rough. And uh, and then they lost Trenton Simpson, the linebacker. Uh, they still got talent, though. So, obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about Alabama and Clemson. And this one here, Ohio State, you know, you lose quarterback C.J. Stroud along with the offensive lineman Paris Johnson Jr. and Luke Weipler. Um, Dewan Jones, senior tackle. Uh, that's that's rough. Jackson Smith and Jigba, like, that makes sense because he was out for most of last year injured. Uh, why would you risk going through injury again? Doesn't make any sense. Uh, you got Pitt, you got Notre Dame, you know, Michael Mayer. Uh, Pitt loses um, Cansey and Abani Kanda. Um, you know, you got dudes. USC lost a couple of guys. TCU, their biggest thing, they lost Max Duggan. Um, I think maybe he could have stuck around if he wanted another year, like another, like a, to take advantage of the COVID year, but he, I think he was done. He was ready. Uh, Quentin Johnston and the running back, Kendra Miller, uh, both announced that they are going to the NFL. Georgia, of course, they were going to lose a ton of guys, right? Just a, a ton of dudes. Don't know. Washington, um, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo, Warren McClendon, the, uh, the lineman, and uh, Broderick Jones. Like, just a bunch of dudes. But that's, again, another one of those teams that is not really going to hurt them. Texas A&M, 
They lost. Uh, well, we'll talk about A and M here for just a second. You know, let's go and start that off. Texas A and M may have lost more talent from one team than any other team in college football history from season to season. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, let's stay on the early entrance, right? We'll start with that one. The portal window closed. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But pulling this article back up, Devon A-Chain, he was, this says he was the crux of A&M's offense, uh, and that's an understatement. Uh, he said A-Chain had 215 of A&M's 429 yards against LSU in an upset. Uh, when A-Chain missed an SEC game against Auburn, the Aggies mustered 10 total points. And then it says adding top defensive back Antonio Johnson and Jalen Jones to this list only makes things worse. So you've got those three that are declaring early for the NFL draft, right? Well, let's go on and pull this one up as well. This is from The Athletic. Max Olson tweeted this out. Texas A&M has lost 25 scholarship players in one offseason. 18 were blue-chip recruits. Eight were top 100 recruit, uh, recruits, including five stars Denver Harris and Chris Marshall. Seven were freshmen from their top-ranked 2022 recruiting class. It says not one entered the portal, changed their mind, and withdrew. Now, they did bring in a couple of guys, so that's good. But when you start looking at this list of guys and where they are going to go play, it is mind-blowing. I mean, you got dudes going to Ole Miss, Georgia Tech, Tulane, uh, SMU, Michigan State, Indiana, Nebraska, Memphis, USC. Uh, you, you just got guys all over the place. Uh, you, defensive backs going over to Georgia. Like, Georgia needs more talent. Like, this is, this is pretty nuts. Denver Harris is going to LSU. Miles Jones is following Mike Elko to Duke. Uh, this is crazy. Now, it, it, obviously, A&M is not the only one who has lost a lot, right? Arkansas, it, it tells us right here, uh, Arkansas had 23 players that elected to transfer. Ole Miss uh, had 22. Um, or, sorry, had, Ole Miss had 23 after, uh, after that. And then Florida had 22. So the SEC has got a bunch of dudes transferring. We get that. How many of them have 17 blue-chip guys that decide to transfer? They ain't a whole lot. But, man, this A&M thing was bananas. Like, I could not believe that crap. Uh, let's do a quick uh, things you should know. And we'll write the time down here, and then we'll end this thing because we're getting close to an hour. I certainly appreciate you all for watching. Like the video, share it out, all that good stuff, if you would so kindly. Uh, Georgia wide receiver, A.D. Mitchell. He has entered the transfer portal and all of the crystal balls over 247 look like he is going to Texas. Now, if you believe the message board fodder, it appears that he is talking about going to Texas to be closer to his daughter. We shall see on that one. I am not totally certain there. Uh, and another name of note, Hank Bachmeyer, the Boise State uh, quarterback that you know announced he was transferring after like week four this year. Uh, he is transferring to Louisiana Tech. He's going to join up with Sonny Cumbie and that air raid offense there. It should be interesting to see exactly what he does in that kind of an offense in Ruston, Louisiana. And so, A.D. Mitchell, the Georgia wide receiver, uh, is looking for a new home. And Hank Bachmeyer, the Boise State quarterback, has found one. So, there you go. There you go. All right. You guys are fantastic. 
Again, check out BetUS. It is where the game begins. Uh, they have a $50 uh, deposit, no, sorry, $50 free play with no deposit required. Didn't even have to look at the notes that time. So go and click the link in the description. Check that out. Check out Valtimary Surf Co. That is a collegiate team, excuse me, collegiate town apparel. I am losing my mind at the end of this show. A collegiate town apparel company. Uh, check them out, ValtimarySurfCo.com. Use the promo code Gary10. You get 10% off your order. And, of course, again, Flow Sports, do that thing up. Go visit Winning Cures Everything. Go check out the web store. we got some cool new shirts up there, new logo, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I want to hear from you guys. Jump in the comments, like the video for me, and, uh, of course, subscribe on the podcast, leave a nice five-star review. I think that knocks everything out. All right. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be talking again on Monday. Until then, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.